the Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of Scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out. Hello, and uh, welcome to very first episode of the Upper Room Discourse. Yes, we're glad that you're joining us. Um, I guess we're just going to get into it. Intros. Yeah, so a little bit about ourselves. So I'm Felipe Marin, uh, 26 years old, and uh, I teach youth Sunday school as well as I play violin on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I'm Dakota Childress, uh, 23 years old, just recently graduated from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, with an associate in biblical studies. It's just a fancy way of saying I have a Christian liberal arts degree. Um, help out with youth along with my colleague Felipe here. Um, that's about it. I also run sound on Sundays for our main service. Yep. Uh, and with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into our song review. Mm. What song have we got today? So uh, very excited about that. Today we're going to be looking at How Great Is Our God. Mm. Staple. And, uh, yeah. Big staple when it comes to Christian music. Probably one of the best written Christian songs in the last 20 years. Mm. Uh, But we want to jump into our theme. So a little bit of introduction. Every week we're going to have a theme. Uh, This week our theme is God is great and looking at greatness. Yeah, we're going to talk about different scriptures. Um, Obviously going to talk about a song. Um, And then we're going to do do a book study about greatness of God. Yeah. Uh, so Dakota, what do you think about when you hear the word greatness? Mm, greatness. I'd say strength, might, um, probably size in some respect. It's about what comes to mind. It's pretty good. So, uh, in our fancy Southern Baptist way, I got kind of like a bit of an alliteration here. So we got M and E. Mm. So with greatness, I think of magnitude and extent and then mighty and excellent. Yeah. You know, so I think those are some good descriptor words when we think about what greatness actually means. Yeah, I like that mighty and excellent. It really draws uh it draws out more of, you know, God's greatness, God's mm-hmm. power and just really how how big he is instead of us just saying he is great. You yeah, know, having that excellent in there and, you know, mighty. Yeah, and I, I wrote in the subtext that it's a word of comparison. Mm-hmm. So basically, we're looking at one thing being so much above something else mm. when we say something yeah, is great. Yeah. And uh, what I wrote is God is far above all of his creation. Yeah. And uh, I didn't put the first reference here. Uh, we'll see if you need to talk about the reference. You're talking is. about Psalm 145, 3? Could or, be possible. I mean, that's uh, the one I have down. But I have it written down. It's uh, for I know that the Lord is great. And that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. That is a good verse. So it's just something that I actually was just in my standard reading. I think it's Psalm 135. 135. I think. I could be wrong. Hmm. But just in my standard quiet time going through that I've been in the Psalms, that's a verse that stuck out. I was like, you know what? Yeah. That's a perfect description of great. Yeah. I had written down here... um, it kind of goes with the theme as well. Psalm 145.3, as I already mentioned, but it says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, 
and his greatness is unsearchable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty powerful. I mean, especially when you get down to the end, it says, and his greatness is unsearchable. Yeah. It just speaks to the extent of which God is his infiniteness and mm-hmm. in a, his inability for us to understand him. Yeah. Uh, I think or it's, our inability for us to understand him. Perfect look at greatness, you know, cause not only is it, Greatness, but greatness that can't even be like fully expressed and known. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. So, uh, as we said earlier, our song review for today is going to be How Great Is Our God. Uh, so, the song was first published on September 21st, 2004, and it was the third track on the Arriving album by Chris Tomlin, uh, written by Jesse Reeves, Ed Cash, and Chris Tomlin, produced by Ed Cash. Uh, and it actually was a number one hit on Billboard. Billboard Hot Christian Songs in 2006. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you, you put out a song like this and it's going to be a hit. Yeah. I mean, we're we're almost 20 years removed from this song being written and being produced and being put on the airwaves and people are still singing it like it's fresh. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, I think that speaks to just how good of a song this is. Yeah. And not only that, you know, when you look back, a couple of years ago, he kind of re-released the song as really? a world version, which includes the song in different languages. That's awesome. Showing how it's sung all around the world. Yeah. You know, it's cool. Uh, so, obviously, there was a verse of inspiration. So, that's going to be Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. And uh, in the ESV, it's written, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. Mm. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Yeah. And anyone that knows the song will know that, recognize the similarities between that verse and the song. So uh, order of lyrics. So it's a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, and then a final chorus after that. Yeah, so it sounds like it's kind of your standard setup for contemporary Christian music today. Yeah, it follows the pop model. The pop model. That's what I call it, you know. You have your verse, chorus, then you have a bridge, then you go back to a chorus. Right. It's very standard. Uh, so song type, I would label this as a call to worship as okay. well as a song of praise. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when you get into it, you definitely see uh, the praise aspects. And you'll go into you know more details mm-hmm. later, but age to age he stands, you know, the Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, and Son. How great is our God? Sing with me. Uh, yeah, definitely see that there. Absolutely. And uh, audience, uh, I would say the audience for this song would be Christians. Mm-hmm. So essentially, definitely. those who belong to God. Yeah, definitely. You know, song literally says, how great is our God? Yeah. And that's how the chorus goes, our God. So I would say that's our audience there. That's who the song is written to. That's who it's sung to when it's sung. Right. All right. So uh, now we're going to get into the actual like review itself. So I have four criterias. So we're going to look at musicality, poeticness, evocation, or what I like to call the vibe check. The vibe check. I like that. <laughs> and then finally, the lyrics. And we'll kind of discuss a little bit deeper about what each of those criteria mean. And we'll do it on a five point scale okay. so out of five on each one of those. And then we'll do like an average at the end. Uh, so first off, we'll start with musicality. So basically, I'm looking at singability. How easy is the song to sing? Melody. Is it a nice melody? Is it catchy? And uh, basically, what I'm trying to judge, is it a boring song or is it a jam? 
Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, man, my, my first thought about this song is, uh, like I said, I'm 23, about to be 24. This song came out in 2004, so I was, you know, four or five years old at most. Um, and I have sang this song for as long as I can remember. So I, I think it passes the vibe, the vibe check, as <laughs> Felipe is going to call it. Um, yeah, it's just the the way in which it incorporates scripture is, mm-hmm. I think, what makes it really good. And I think it can stand like a long test of time, as we even see hymns do. So. Absolutely. Uh, so I wrote down, this song is an absolute bop. I think it's very absolute easy bop. to sing to. Yeah, absolute. Like, I, it's lit, I wrote down, it feels like it's a challenge to not sing along to this song. Mm. Especially when it's like, sing with me. You're like, he's telling me to sing with him. Like, I got to right. sing with him, you know? Uh, I wrote down that it very much welcomes people to sing along. Uh, and it also does a really good job of teaching the song through repetition. Mm, yeah. And uh, obviously there's lyrical repetition, but what I'm looking at here is musical. And there's a lot of really cool musical repetition. Uh, so as I was telling you earlier, uh, there's this really cool interval that is kind of used throughout the whole song. And it's this fourth interval. That we go from one to four back to one. And explain what that means. Yeah. So like, for example, we know the melody, how great is our God? How great. That's not, I'm not a great singer, but. Is our God. Yeah. That melody is throughout the whole song. Even right. the verses are that melody. The splendor of. The same melody is how great is. I see. And you have that same up, down, right, up. Right. You know, and. I think it just does a great job of teaching the song throughout the whole song and just helping people learn how to sing along to it. I th- that adds a lot to its singability. Right. Like you said, it makes it easier to sing because, mm-hmm. I mean, in each part of the song, you get that kind of same progression. Yeah. Uh, I wrote down that probably the original key is C. Uh, with a song like this, it's hard to find an original key because it's been covered so many times and people play it so many different yeah. ways. Uh, but according to the official YouTube for Chris Tomlin, there's a lyric and chord video. It's like 10 years old, but it's in the key of C. So that's what we're going by. And I say that because I feel like Chris Tomlin does capo it. So it probably isn't actually C. Yeah, he probably does. I mean, I don't know how old Chris Tomlin is, but from the time he originally wrote this song with his partners to now, I don't, I don't think he's singing in that same, in that same uh, uh, probably key. Probably not. Uh, I also put there's this really cool musical motif found th- just throughout the song. So it's like, do, 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 do. You kind of hear that throughout the whole okay. song. And it, I think it just kind of adds to that, like wanting to jam to it, wanting right. to listen to it. Uh, it has a really cool build. So obviously it builds throughout the whole song. So the first verse will build into the chorus, and then it kind of sets back a little bit before building even bigger into the second chorus, mm-hmm. and then we have the big build at the bridge. So it's really cool just how it's all structured. So uh, I wrote down that it's a five out of five. Five out of five in all categories. Oh, in musicality. Oh, I think musicality. Oh, yeah, yeah. On that. I, I would definitely say so. Um, looking at it from a more scripture side, um, the amount of references, there are two different verses, uh, the ones you've already mentioned. Um, we get a lot of them from the Psalms, as we've already seen. Um, but I do see some connections to Revelation. 
some in Genesis, mm-hmm. some in John, uh, both John the um, the Gospel of John and First John the Epistle. Yes. So I, I do see a lot of references there as well. So moving on to poeticness, uh, basically what I'm looking at here with poeticness is how does the song flow? What's the grammar of the song? Mm-hmm. Basically, does the song read like a textbook or does it read like Shakespeare? Okay. Or is it reading like a 15-year-old's text messages? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Uh, so I wrote down that it's a really good flow. I think it flow is amazing. Uh, the verses do a good job of speaking about who God is yeah. and then leading that into a chorus where we call people to sing of how great he is. So it's a cool like, this is who God is. Now sing with me how great he is. So it kind of helps give a little bit more context when we say how great is our God. It helps give that to us. Right. Um, I love the repetition. So obviously anyone that's heard this song knows there's a lot of repetition in this song. The chorus has it. How great is our God? Sing that three times in that chorus. Uh, But even in the verses, you know, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. is all throughout that repetition. Uh, I really like it because those repetitions bring out truth about God. Mm, yeah. I wrote down, the earth rejoices at his splendor and majesty. Darkness trembles at God's voice. Right. He is the beginning and the end. He is the lion and the lamb. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's uh, important to understand those, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially that repetition. You Absolutely. know, it really drives home the point. Absolutely. Uh, so... There's a little bit of critique here, not a big critique, because, uh, and as we're going to get to it, I give this a five out of five on poeticness as well. Okay. Uh, but when it comes to the bridge, originally written, the bridge is name above all names, worthy of all praise. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oftentimes, and even uh, Chris Tomlin has done it before in his recording, but it'll say, you're the name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. And I wrote that it's not a false statement, but when you think about who our audience is, are we singing this song to God or are we singing the song to other people? Right. And ultimately we're singing the song to other people. So if we want to be correct with the flow and all of that, I think the proper way to say it would be, he's the name above all names. In he that situation. Of all praise. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Uh, but I don't think there's any issue either way. Like, I think you could easily say you're the name above all names. Like I don't, there's not a, there's not any disconnect there. I don't think. Yeah. And, and I think it makes total sense to say, you know, you are the name above all names. Cause in that sense, we are talking to God, Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and I would say specifically Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Christ, the mm-hmm. Messiah. Yes. He it specifically says in scripture that his name is above all names. Yeah. So, uh, so again, as I was saying, five out of five on poeticness, I think the flow is amazing. Uh, I love how the song is structured and how each thing leads into another. Yeah. Absolutely love it. And, and I will say one thing about poetic, poeticness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we get to poetic, poeticness, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to rhyme. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's not something we're going to get to. Obviously, like, mm-hmm. you're not going to throw the lion and the lamb to rhyme with the lion and the lamb. You know, I, it just <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not a yeah. rhyme. Like, um, I mean, you do have, like, age to age he stands and time is in his hands. But, you know, if you look at Shakespeare... Yeah, he he wrote so many poems and so many plays, and sometimes those rhyme, sometimes yeah. they don't. It's true, and uh, if anything, I think he does a good job using the rhythm with it. You know, because yeah. not all the lines rhyme, but a lot of the lines do rhyme, uh, especially in the chorus. We see some rhyming, and uh, again, I think it's just 
beautifully written is what I think. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, so moving on, third criteria we're going to be looking at is evocation. Basically, the vibe check, what feelings or thoughts are evoked? Mm. Are they good feelings? Or are they bad feelings? Yeah. Uh, so I wrote down that there's two major evocations I find in this song. Okay. Uh, but before I get, I want to see uh, what kind of vibe do you get when you hear this song? What kind of vibe do I get? Um, I would say uh, this sense of awe and wonder. Okay. Um, that, I'd be, that could either go, you know, one together, one vibe, or it could be two, two separate vibes. Um, but yeah, all in wonder. Um, let's see. I'm not really sure. That, that's kind of the only thing that really sticks out in my mind right now. But Absolutely. That's actually my second evocation. We can do that one first, the second one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wrote down that there's an astonishment at how great God actually is. Yeah. And how it all culminates in this bridge where we get to this line of how God is worthy of all praise. Right. And I, that sense of awe and wonder, I think you really, really get that when you hear this song, especially even when you sing along to it. Uh, first evocation I wrote down is the desire to sing along, which is, a, I think it's a very strong desire and feeling you get to sing when you hear this song. And again, like I've said before, the song literally calls you and be like, come sing with me. Right. I wonder, I, it would be cool to do a study on this song and just see how many times it has been played like over the years, you know, not specifically in like Christian circles, but like yeah, in church settings uh, on the radio and even wasn't on Apple it, Music. Wasn't it played on an award show? Like didn't I don't somebody know. I feel like somebody referenced it at like a Grammys show or something. I have no idea. You know, I don't keep up with the Grammys. Something like that. I didn't do a lot of If there was a Christian Grammys, no. I mean, I might keep up with that. There but is. I forget what it's called, but there's there a is. yeah. Wow. I forget what it's called. The Dove Awards. The Dove Awards? Yeah. I've never heard of that. First time one is a multi uh, winner. Of course, <laughs> of course. Well, the song with songs like this, I mean, yeah. how could you not be? Uh, no, I I'm feel just like kidding. I feel like it was a while ago, but I do think that there was a Grammy performance. Somebody won, and they actually really? did a performance, and they referenced like they took a bit out of this song and put it in there. That's really cool because uh, it's on the Genius. If you go to Genius dot com for this song, you'll see it at the bottom. Interesting, yeah, yeah. It's funny because like the top comment is like, like like this post if you came here after watching the Grammys, after watching the Grammys, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so evocation five out of five. I mean, I know we've had a lot of five out of fives, but I, I know it sounds like you really like this song. I literally can't find any bad feelings or thoughts coming out of this song. Yeah. Like everything that comes out of it is good songs and a desire to praise and worship. I do have one thought on it, but I'll wait till we get to the end and share that thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, so this is about this next one is the big kind of thing. The lyrics. What we're looking at here is how based on scripture is this? And when I say scripture, I mean specific scripture. Mm -hmm. Is it heresy or is it scripture? Yeah. Let's break that down. What does heresy mean? Yeah, so heresy would be like um, if we took the doctrine of God, Mm -hmm. right, and we said that the Holy Spirit was lesser than God the Father and God the Son, Mm -hmm. or another heresy would be like saying that um, when Jesus came and was born, when the, when God the Son was born as Jesus the man, yeah. that he lost his divinity or that um, he had sin because he was born to a sinful mother. 
Like, like those would be heresies. Yeah. And direct translation would be like an opinion almost. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's the same word because it's not. Right. A wrong opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But basically a heresy is when you have an opinion that doesn't line up with scripture. Right. You know, and almost anything can be a heresy. Right. Like oftentimes we hear the word heresy and we're like, oh, that's like the worst of the worst. That's like, you know, like you're doing witchcraft or something mm-hmm. if you're doing heresy. But, you know, oftentimes like standard Christians will say heretical things all the time. Yeah. And they can be, and they can be simple things. Yeah. Um, they could be something that's not from scripture that we've always thought from scripture. Obviously, I don't have like a exactly. reference off the top of my head, but uh, I think a perfect one is like God only helps those who help themselves. Yeah, perfect one right there. You know, obviously, it's a heresy, but that's because that's not found in scripture. Right, it's very popular. A lot of people say it. Yeah, I've or, heard uh, that said. Let go and let God. Yes, let go and let God. Yeah, perfect examples. Right, but even uh, even like misinterpretations of scripture. Yeah, would be considered heresy. You know? Yeah, and and I wouldn't say like you know in the Book of Revelation, mm-hmm. you know there are definitely misinterpretations. Um, but I, I would say I would say like any book like that is subject to those biggest misinterpretations, Absolutely. those biggest heresies. Absolutely. And uh, we see it just like all you have to do is just do a search and see how many different views people yeah. have when it yeah. comes to the Revelation. Uh, so I, I think that's a very thorough description of what heresy means. Yeah, you know. Uh, so I wrote down, this song is like almost entirely straight scripture, like straight up. Yeah, it is. So uh, we're going to look at the verses first, then we'll look at the chorus, then we'll look at the bridge. Okay. So verses, we have uh, the splendor of a king clothed in majesty. Let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice. Trembles at his voice. So, uh, First verse I want to bring out is Psalm 104, 1 and 2, which you already talked about. But it talks about how God is clothed in splendor, majesty, and light. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote down, the earth trembles at God's presence. It's literally how great God is. Right. Uh, verse to look at is Psalm 104, 32. So later on in the same psalm, that's one example. I think you'll see it throughout all the psalms. And I think anybody that's read the psalms would have that understanding that the earth trembles at God's presence. Right. Especially darkness. And uh, I bring up John 1, 5. Darkness does not overcome light. Right. And God is the light. Yeah, and he's literally wrapped in, he's wrapped in light. Yeah, literally wrapped in light. He is the true light, as it would say in John chapter 1. Right. Uh, Any other thoughts there on verse 1? No, not really. Um, I do say, you know, let all the earth rejoice. Um, We Mm -hmm. do definitely see that. You know, in Psalms. Over and over and over. Over and over. We also see it uh, in Revelation. And the reason I keep mentioning Revelation so much is, spoiler alert, we will be getting into that book here in a minute. Yes. Um, But, you know, the earth rejoices at the end and at the beginning Mm -hmm. of Scripture, you know, even starting in Genesis before the fall. Yeah. Uh, So verse 2, age to age he stands, time is in his hands, beginning and the end. The Godhead three and one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion, and the Lamb. Uh, so funny how we say Revelation. All of these references are yes. in Revelation yes. for the second verse. Uh, I wrote down Revelation twenty two thirteen. Okay, yeah. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, right. first and the last. That's also found in Revelation 1. Yes, it is. Uh, I wrote down the mention of the Trinity. So obviously Trinity is not found in Scripture. Right. As we understand. But 
we see the Father, we see the Spirit, we see the Son. Yes. All throughout Scripture. Even even from the beginning, Genesis oh, one one. I would argue you see it from Genesis yeah. to Revelation. Exactly. You see Everywhere. The Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh Revelation five five tells us of the Lion of Judah. Revelation five six tells us that that same Lion of Judah is the Lamb that was slain. Yes, yes. So there was that's where we get the lion and the lamb coming straight out of Revelation chapter five. Uh, any other thoughts there on verse two? Uh, I would just say, um, as far as Revelation goes, mentioning the lion and the lamb, um, it will, and we'll get to this like, later again. Um, but that's a specific draw from not only Isaiah, but it is definitely found in Isaiah. Absolutely, speaking about the lamb and yes. the lamb that was slaughtered. Yes. Uh, so, uh, chorus. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. Uh, I wrote down that this is literally like the language of the Psalms. Yes. Yeah. You know, like you could, this could be in a Psalm and I'd be like, yeah, okay. It, makes, it fits. Right. Uh, I wrote down uh, just a couple examples. Uh, Psalm 8, 1. How majestic is your name in all the earth? That word majestic can be translated great. Yes. Uh and we'll, I guess we'll get into it with our word study, but there are more than one. There's like, I think, two Hebrew words that can be translated great. We'll be looking at one of those. Yeah, just one of them. Yeah. Uh, but that word majestic can be translated great as well. Uh, I wrote down Psalm 105 too, which is just singing praises to God. All right. So, again, you read this. I say it over and over again. You read the Psalms, you'll just see this throughout all of the Psalms. Yeah, it definitely has that Psalm feel to it, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and not all songs can be psalms. Like I mean, you got different you got different genres of songs. And specifically in scripture, we see hymns, yeah. um, Thanksgiving, Lamentation, uh, Psalms is a specific genre that we do see in scripture. And then I think this could fit definitely in like a psalm of praise. Absolutely. Uh, so bridge, name above all. We've said it already a bunch of times, but name above all names, worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. Uh, so I wrote Philippians 2.9. Jesus has been given the name above all names. Straight out of Philippians 2. And then Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Beautiful showing of he is worthy of all praise. Yeah, and not is he just worthy of it, but he's deserving of it. Whether you know we want to give it to him or not, he deserves that praise, that honor, that glory. Like, like the greatness that he has is because of who he is, yeah. and not just because of what he's done. But obviously, that does tie into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so, surprise, surprise. What do you think? What, what score do you think I gave this? Um, a one. <laughs> Uh, nah. Five out of five. Five out of five. Uh, so we hit all five straight down. I don't think this is going to happen every week. It could. Who knows? Yeah, th- with some of the songs we picked in the future, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to say a five out of five on all. It's true. And, uh, uh, we'll get to those later. Yeah, this might be a great time to talk about it, too. Uh, we're not just doing contemporary. Yeah. Now we're hitting hymns. We're hitting contemporary. We're doing modern-day hymns. We're doing songs written, like, two years ago. Songs written 200 years ago. Yeah. Very exciting. So it's going to be good. Uh, so final score, five out of five. Five out of five. Yeah, it's a great song. I love it. 
Uh, I wrote down that this song fits really well into almost any worship set and honestly into almost any spot. It's a very versatile song. Yeah. I was discussing about it the other day, but you know, like you could play this song fast. You could play this song slow. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it both ways, fast yeah. and slow. Yeah. I don't know which one I like more, but I guess it really matters. They're, they're both, they're both great. Yeah. They're both just as good. Song is so versatile, so easy to sing and lead people. And you can literally play it in like so many different keys. Yeah. Uh, I put down personally, I love having it as an opener to a worship set because of the strong call to worship within the song. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, And this is kind of the point I was wanting to get back to. Uh, You know, I said at the end, but what's what's interesting, you know, uh, looking at these lyrics is he asks the question, how great is our God? As a, he, he says that as a question. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes we kind of overlook that. And that might be my only critique with it, is that it's a question instead of a statement. Absolutely. You know, or like an exclamation. Um, like, I do understand it being a question. Like, you're wanting to ask, how great is our God? But I feel like with a question should come an answer, mm. if, if you catch my drift. Well, that's what the verses do. The verses give that answer. Yeah, and they do. Um, I guess it's more of like an immediate thing for me instead of like a later on thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those cool instances of using how in a sentence. Yeah. Because obviously we understand the normal way you use how as a question, like, uh, like a rhetorical question. Yeah. I got you. You know, like it, it's a very specific type of using the word how it, I think a beautiful example is lamentations one. How lonely sits the city that once right. was full of people? You know, that's a question, but it's also an exclamation. Right. It's not okay. just a question. You know, like it's it's like a question, but more, almost. Right. I feel like right. this song does the same thing. Like, yeah, he's saying, how great is our God? But at the same time, he's almost like exclaiming, like, how great is, is our, our God? God? Right. Which I love. Uh, I get that critique, though. I get it. It makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you think on the same lines that I do, you know, he says how he asks how great is our God, and this says sing with me, and then he gets into. But that's mostly towards the end of the song, though. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, he does give that. Um, a little bit of context. He does give that a little bit of context. Uh, now, this is something I'll, I put a just again. This song is so versatile. Oftentimes, you can tag at the end. Uh, so, musical terms, a tag. It's almost like a coda. Anybody knows what a coda is in classical music? And what is a coda? Uh, so basically, when you end the song, it's like an ending to the song, almost. So oftentimes, they'll be like, go to this section that's separate from everything else, which is the coda. And in that coda, it's like, often, like sometimes it'll repeat some things from before, but it'll give an ending. Right. And that's what a tag is. So you'll see a tag in more modern music. Same, basically the same thing as a coda. Yeah, it's just kind of like a play out. Yeah. I guess is how I will put it. Yeah, and I think a beautiful example, uh, so obviously there's two great examples of this song with the tag. So one example would be singing the chorus again, but slower. Yeah, yeah. And at, at a different tempo than you sing the rest of the song. Right. You know, because I wouldn't say that's a repeat of the chorus. It's different. So I would label that as a tag. Uh, I think another great example that I've seen a lot is tagging it into how great thou art. Ah, uh, yes, Ending that final chorus, and then all of a sudden going, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Yeah, and it kind of just flows on together. Absolutely. Which is kind of interesting. I don't know if Chris Tomlin 
ever thought about that when he was making the song. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> but I mean, it'd be pretty cool if he did. But I mean, yeah. the way it flows into like other some other songs is yeah. you know. And, I, and I, that's what I love is when songs have that ability because some songs it's hard to do something like that. Right. Uh, but in this one, it does a great job where you literally can just finish that chorus and then put a tag and just jump in. And it, even if you just do that tag of that chorus of how great thou art, you could jump straight into the hymn after that right. and just do the whole hymn. You know, it's just a really cool, like I said, it's a very versatile song when it comes to putting it in a worship set. Uh, so now we have the big question, the important question, the most important question. Should you play this on a Sunday morning with a congregation? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. So uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good one. Uh, I would, if I was musically inclined, I would definitely play it uh, on a Sunday morning. Um, I don't know if you would agree. I hope you would, but uh, just the, like we've already said, the call to worship, um, the exclamation of who God is, um, the thinking through who God is, how great he is, uh, his majesty, his splendor, uh, thinking through all that, I think it's a good setup for a worship service. Yeah. And I use worship lightly uh, in that sense. So a worship service with the whole congregation. Mm. I would agree. Uh, I put the answer is yes. Uh, so obviously, when it comes to the gathering, when it comes to Sunday morning, uh, I'm going to stand on the notion that everything coming from that stage is to equip yeah, and teach the saints. Mm-hmm. Just like the straight out of Ephesians four. Yeah, just like the studying of the word should yeah. be. Uh, and I think this song does a great job of teaching about who God is and how great He is, and equipping us to be able to do that, and even giving us an easy way to be able to praise Him, to express ourselves and praise to Him. Uh, I think it absolutely fits perfectly for a Sunday morning. Yeah. So uh, that's our song review. Uh, as I said, it's a great song. I absolutely love this song. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, I don't think, honestly, there's a lot of great songs out there. I think this is at the top of the list. Yeah, for sure. Again, like I said earlier, one of the probably one of the best Christian songs in the last 20 years. Definitely. Top, yeah, definitely got to be a top five, if not top three. Absolutely. So what's next on the agenda? Uh, well, now we're going to take a little bit of a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to be looking at uh, our word study as well as our book study. Look forward to it. So see you soon. Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road on the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30 and for service from 10.45 to noon or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the youth, Awana and Cubbies for the kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. All right, welcome back. Uh, Thank you for being patient with us on that short little break. So what we're going to move into now is our word study. We're still talking about great and greatness. Um, 
really drawing from the passage from Psalm 145.3. And I just got to get to it right quick. But I'll just go ahead and kind of talk about what this word kind of means. So in the Hebrew, right, it's it's a literal translation from the word gadol. Um, mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? I got to ask my uh, Hebrew scholar over here. I, I believe so. I'd have to look it up, but I believe I do believe it's gadol. Gadol. Yeah. So that is the Hebrew word for it, and it literally just means great. So no extra kind of connotations, no extra thought really to put into it. Um, it it's what I found interesting is this word specifically is found 516 times in the Old Testament. It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, and when we compare it to, um, and you have to use the something called the Septuagint for this, all right? Uh-huh. So what that is is basically the Greek version of the Old Testament. Yes. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, I should say. So the word that they're using in Psalm 145.3 is the word megas in Greek. It's megas. So Hebrew, gadol, Greek, megas. That is M-E-G-A-S in the Greek. And then in the Hebrew, that's G-A-D-O-L, gadol. Um, So the word megas, 877 times in the whole entire Bible. That's That's a lot of times. That is a very common word. Yes, that is a lot of times. Um, And what's even further interesting about these, okay, uh, is the books that these two words are not found in. Uh huh. Okay, so for Gadol, how many books do you think it's not found in in the Old Testament? Not found in? Not found in. Say maybe, I'm going to say zero. Zero? No, you're wrong. I'm wrong. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, yeah, this word is not found in three books. And those three books, at least from what I could tell. Yeah. And those three books are Ruth. Oh, I was about to think, like, is it in Ruth? I just recently no, read Ruth. it's not in Ruth. And we just went through that in a quiet time study we're doing for I was, the youth. That's literally the book I was thinking of. Yep. I don't know if I remember hearing that. It is not in there. Song of Solomon. It is okay. not found there either. And then this actually kind of surprised me, but it's one of the prophets, and that is Habakkuk. Really? It is not found there. Really? Not once. Interesting. Now, obviously, I'm up for correction, uh, but like I said, from <laughs> what I could tell, it is not in these three books. And, and that for is... The, for the most part, like, that it's a fact that it's in every other book. Yeah, it's in every also. other book. In the Old Testament for the Hebrew word, gadol. Um, now, megas, the Greek word, how many books do you think that's not found in? I'm going to hope the same three, and then let's add maybe like... Another three to that, so six. Um, I'm not actually sure, but I know in the I know in the New Testament, right? It is not found in Galatians, and this is actually what I wrote down because I was looking at the New Testament, anyways. It's not found in Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, First or Second Thessalonians, Philemon, First Peter, and Second John. And I would venture to say that as far as in the Old Testament, it's not found in Ruth, Song of Solomon, or Habakkuk yeah. either. Um, it makes sense because those are letters, and some of them, like, right. it makes sense. Yeah, some of them just don't address the topic. Yeah. Right. Um, so, 
And then specifically in Psalm, this is where it kind of, you know, is really interesting. Um, the Hebrew word gadol, mm-hmm. it is found 28 times in Psalm. Wow. Okay. So roughly 28 times in Psalm for gadol. For megas, uh, it is found roughly 31 times. You would think it'd be more. Yeah. So what we see here is that, you know, there's different translations for the word great. And as you spoke on before, there's actually how many different translations for great in the Hebrew? There's Well, there's two words in the Hebrew, I believe. Yeah, two in the Hebrew. Translated great. And as far as I know, um, for the Greek, they only just use this one megas mm-hmm. for great, um, as far as I found. Now, to kind of go into our book study, the word megas is actually found around 75 times in Revelation alone. Wow. So that's a, that's a pretty good chunk, but obviously, you know, not compared to the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I had this question written down. Uh, because, you know, Gadol is only found 28 or roughly 28 times in Psalm, and Megas is roughly found 31 times in Psalm, is there a discrepancy in the translation there? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. No, there's no discrepancy, mm-hmm. right? There's no there's no concern for biblical error or mm-hmm. errancy right there, okay? Um, and, and what I mean by that is when it comes to translations, mm-hmm. you know, there's different severities of words. Yeah, and some words might be translated something differently mm-hmm. when we translate to, for example, English or, or to Greek. You know, some words that might not have been translated into that are translated into that. Right. And I think a perfect word, or I should say words, mm-hmm. that most people look at, uh, especially when it comes to the Greek, is love. Yeah. Like in English, there's, you know, universally one word. Mm-hmm. But then in Greek, you have three different ones, agapeo, phileo, and eros. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of what we're getting at here. Like, there's no error there, mm-hmm. right? Just because in Greek, they may translate, you know, a word the same yeah. than they would in Hebrew, there's no error there. Yeah. Like, I'll give a perfect example, Psalm 8 where it says how majestic is right. your name. That word majestic can be translated great. Can be well. translated, yeah. And so I just want to read the verse one more time. Uh, Psalm 145.3, great is the Lord, that's where we're finding this word great, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Wow. Mm. Pretty powerful stuff. Um, so, you know, I have a challenge to the listeners here. So just kind of go... Um, I use this. I use this uh, website called Step Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's .org. Um, great website if you're wanting to learn about you know words, translations from the Bible. Uh, you can get Greek, Hebrew translations, different Bibles like NASB, New American Standard. Uh, you can get ESV, which is English Standard, and all those different ones. Um, but just kind of go and compare, like just hearing the Psalms mm-hmm. where these two words are used, and just. You know, kind of do that for yourself, a little bit of word study and, you know, get engaged with the Bible, as we all should do anyways. Um, but something else I want, I want to draw your attention to is the first occurrence for each of these words. Okay. Okay. So, gadol and megas. First occurrence, both in Genesis one sixteen, And if very we actually... Yeah, very beginning of the Bible. Very beginning of the Bible. And if we actually turn there, 
Yeah, I actually bring my Bible with me to these podcasts. Uh, I got to. So, yeah, Galatians 1.16, and it says, God made the two great, and that's that word there, lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. So that's where the first occurrence of that word is. And then, and, that, and that's for both of them. Uh, the last occurrence for the Greek word megos is in Revelation 21.12. I'll get to that in a second. And then for the Hebrew, it's in Malachi 4. Uh, so very end of the very, Old very end of the New Testament. Actually, I mean Old Testament, yeah. not New Testament. <laughs> but yeah, it's in our Bibles, it is the last book. So looking at Malachi 4 and then verse 5. And it says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Mm. So we're kind of getting the biblical prophecy there. Yes. And something, something uh, you know, that people kind of wonder about when it comes to the end times revelation is we see two prophets come through, mm-hmm. right? And a big debate and... We've kind of been using this uh, phrase here recently at Oakview Baptist Church, especially among the view. Is it a hill to die on? Yeah. Uh, like, who are these two prophets we see in Revelation? Like, we don't know. Uh, I think you can speculate all day long about who they are, but does it really matter? I don't think in the grand scheme of things it does. But that's all to say that we're seeing biblical prophecy there in Malachi. And then... We turn to Revelation 21 and then go to verse 12, and we'll see the last occurrence of this word. And like I said, this is actually the Greek, because we got to remember, right, mm-hmm. the Old Testament, right, that's dealing with the Jews, all right, that's dealing with the Hebrew people. Yep. So the scripture is written in their language, mm-hmm. right? And then when we get to the New Testament, we have this intermingling of Greek and Hebrew culture, and so now we have Jews who can speak Greek. Yes. And it's the common language at the time. So they're writing in Greek. Yeah. So uh, we get to... Obviously not all of it written in Greek. Yeah. But uh, I think once we settled, like when we got to the full canon of Scripture, I think a lot of these New Testament books, we're looking at them in the Greek, speci- in the Greek specifically. Yeah, and actually later on, um, after you get past the apostolic age, the apostolic age, which is the apostles, Yeah, and you get past the church fathers... You actually see that, you know, the Bible is starting to be written in Latin. Yeah. Because the Romans, yeah, the Romans have been taking over the world, basically. Um, But yeah, we're in Revelation 21, and it's in verse 12. And this is specifically speaking about New Jerusalem and talking about the wall and the gates. And this is what it says. It had a great and high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates... 12 angels, and names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Mm. So, first, last occurrences of both of these words. And we're actually going to get into Revelation here in just a second. Um, So, what I want you to do, um, and as long as it's safe to do so, meaning you're not driving and you're not working or doing anything that's going to put your life in jeopardy, I just want you to close your eyes. You are now entering the Bible Zone. Imagine you are on an island right off the coast of the, of the nearest continent, all alone. The day is like any other. The sun is shining 
and a cool breeze caresses your skin. You hear a constant crashing of waves. It is neither too hot nor too cold. It is temperate, mild weather. It's like a nice spring day. You step into a dark cave and begin to write a letter. Your old, wrinkly hands grasp your quill. Your head has thinning, gray, unkempt hair. Your beard is scraggly and gray as well. Though you are old, nearing the end of your life, and have been on this island for a year, you still give God the glory and honor He deserves while pouring out your heart to Him and your fellow believers. Your faith remains strong, and just when you thought that you would never hear the voice of the one you love so much again, you hear these words from behind you. Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. You turn to look, and standing before you are seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands is one like a son of man. He wears a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. His hair, pure white like that of wool or fresh snow. His eyes burn like the flame of a fire. His feet remind you of burnished bronze, and his voice carries with it the roaring strength of many waters. You realize that the one at which you gaze is the Lord himself, and you fall face first into the dirt at his feet in holy reverence. Your name? John. Your task? To write of God's revelation to you, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. You may now open your eyes. So, I hope you guys like that little write-up I did of the beginning of Revelation. Um, took me all of like three days. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was yeah. really, really great. Yeah, I kind of wanted to set the scene of what's going on here and kind of the background of what's going on in Revelation. So, it, it's about AD 95, mm-hmm. okay? So, we're transported 2,000 years into the past, right? Um and actually, let me go. Let me go back a year, AD ninety four. All right, um, John, uh, one of the apostles, he is boiled in oil. Yeah. And what do you, what do you think happened? Well, you would think that he would have died, right? But apparently, he didn't die. He just didn't even burn. No, literally, nothing happened to him. Like, uh, imagine, you know, an emperor, or it'd be like the president, I guess, in our day. Yeah. Um, not liking what you say, not liking the religion that you claim to be, to be a part of. And he's just like, all right, I'm going to throw you in like a bowl of boiling oil. And you and nothing happens to you. You're not burned. No hair on your flesh is, skin, is burned. Um, nothing is charred. And you come out perfectly fine. Yeah. So... What do you what do you think happens next? Like, wh- what do you do in that situation? You uh, send them off somewhere where they can't see anybody ever again, right? So in AD ninety four, John is banished to Patmos, 
It's an island right off the coast of Greece, I believe, and he just lives the rest of his life there in exile from everybody else. Um, so he's roughly 90 years old at this point, right? And then eighty ninety four, like I said, he's banished to Patmos. A year later, eighty ninety five, this is what happens. And he specifically mentions that, you know, he's in the spirit mm-hmm. at this point. And this is when all this happens. He sees the golden lampstands. He, go, he goes to write this letter. Then he sees the golden lampstands. And in the midst is standing Jesus himself mm-hmm. and all of his power and all of his glory. Right. Honestly, when I was writing this up the other night, I was just kind of reading it back in my head. And it gave me chills. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just thinking about it, like, imagine, like, God. It's giving me chills right now. But, you know, God in the form of the Son mm-hmm. is before you. And the only thing you can do is fall on your face Absolutely. and worship him. Man, just kind of let that sink in for a second. But, like I said, Revelation written by John. And who who is this book written to? Like, who is this book Almost written to? More directly, the seven churches. Yeah, the seven churches of, do you know where? Asia Minor. Yeah, Asia Minor. Um, and I did cover that kind of in my little write-up. Um, but you see that in Revelation 1, verse 11, which is where I specifically mm-hmm. drew that reference from. Um, and this is the Lord. Uh, we'll go back to verse 10. This is uh, John speaking. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. So, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. So, I mean, there, there's very big implications there because mm-hmm. with trumpets comes like victory. Yes. Um, and there's also a feast of trumpets mm-hmm. in Jewish culture. So I think he's kind of alluding to that there, but mostly the victory sign. Um, and then we get into verse 11 saying, write in a book what you see to the seven churches and then to F- to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, <laughs> uh, and Laodicea. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of major churches that were found. Yeah. And one of them it would be very familiar, uh, the church at Ephesus. Right. Which was the church where the letter to the Ephesians would have been written towards. Yes, and... That letter to the Ephesians was written by a different apostle, not the yes. Apostle John. Yes, yes, not written by John. Yeah, that was written by Paul, uh, who is also called Saul. Not that his name ever changed, but that is... That's, uh, that's like a whole discussion. That, that's a whole other discussion, <laughs> not for today. Uh, but what what do you think the genre is of Revelation? Oh, I mean, it's prophecy. Prophecy? What else? There's actually quite a few. Mainly, mainly two, but I would say there's more than two. I would say other than prophecy, I would think, uh, I mean, I guess to sit with our theme, but the greatness of God. Greatness, yeah. Uh, the main one it really focuses on is apo- the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really called apocalyptic literature. Yes. Um, this book and Daniel are yeah. the main two that most people go for, for apocalyptic literature um, when it comes to the canon of Scripture. Um, so... Something we need to focus on, uh, going back to the seven churches, mm-hmm. we, we are not the primary readers. We are not the primary audience of not just Revelation, but any book of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last time I checked, and, this, and I can only speak for myself, right? I was not born in Laodicea or in Sardis 
or in Ephesus, right? Yeah. Uh, I was born in High Point, North Carolina, which is where our church is located. Um, and I live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So mm-hmm. none of what he's saying directly applies to me, but in application, there's a lot that I can draw from. And not only me, but other believers. Absolutely. You know, all scripture is profitable. Yeah. For teaching. Oh, the verse is going to like go out of my Reproof. Head. Reproof, rebuke. correction, yeah. or rebuke, and training in righteousness. Yeah. So, so we have to be careful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not a bad thing if we put ourselves into the mindset mm-hmm. of those who would have been reading this. Um, so we kind of have to look at it from all angles. Firstly, from who John is writing to, and then secondly, from our point of view. So, Yeah, and not only that, uh, this was written to Christians. Right. You know, they were Christians there. It's churches, you know, and us as Christians and in a church. Like, yeah, it wasn't written directly towards us, you know, but we could fall into the same traps that maybe some of those churches fell into, you know. So almost in a sense, it's not directly written to us, but kind of it is written to us as Christians, as church members. Yeah. And, yeah, like I said, application is for, and like you said, application is, you know, for all ages and ages to come. Um, So let's keep going. Um, We've kind of talked about the genres. Um, His reason for writing, um, what, what do you think? His reason for writing. I think he was just, he was told to write it down, so he wrote it down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's actually honest and to the point, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, commanded to, you know, told to write. Um, also for encouragement. Um, one of the major churches that is focused on when it comes to encouragement and to watching how they slip away from the faith is Ephesus. Yes. So for them to have encouragement, and, and we'll talk about that encouragement in a second. Um, Because it kind of links, I say kind of, but it greatly, there we go, greatly links into our word choice and our theme for today. Mm -hmm. Um, So going with that, some themes found, um, redemption, uh, ultimate good versus evil, judgment, God's holiness, God's integrity, and what I mean by that is him keeping promises, Mm -hmm. him um, saying something thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And then thousands and thousands and thousands of years later doing those things. So prophecy and then fulfillment of prophecy. Um, Victory, triumph, and then lastly, but not least, God's greatness. Mm -hmm. Um, And and where we really see that, uh, and I have some verses referenced here, and I'll go through them quickly, um, are Revelation 1.10, and you can kind of look these up in your own time. Uh, You know, we're kind of limited on time here. But Revelation one ten, Revelation eleven seventeen, Revelation twelve ten, um, Revelation fourteen two, fourteen nineteen, um, fifteen three, uh, chapter nineteen verses one and two, and I specifically highlighted this one, mm-hmm. um, Revelation twenty eleven, uh, and actually let me turn to that one since I did kind of highlight it. Um, and this is you know, two, two chapters before we get to the end, Satan is bound, and we're kind of looking at um, the throne of God and judgment. And this is what it says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven 
fled away mm. and no place was found for them. Mm. Uh, but, but what I want you to understand, um, and this is kind of for everybody who's watching on YouTube, um, that the great white throne is actually green. <laughs> and you can look right over here. In case no, you're curious. Yeah, in case you're curious, the, the throne is actually green. Uh, no, that's just a joke. Uh, in our studio, we uh, have a whiteboard, and we only have green markers. So I drew the great white throne and in green marker. Yeah. And it actually looks pretty good. I think it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I'm not an artist. We do have an artist we go to church with, and yes. he'd probably be able to draw it a lot better. So if you ever listen to the episode one. Uh, we could commission a drawing. Yeah. But anyways, uh, back to the topic at hand. So Revelation twenty eleven, I think that I think that is one of the highlights of God's greatness. Mm-hmm. You have this white throne, he sits upon it, and his presence makes heaven and earth fly, like just flee. Yeah. You know. I, I don't know how it gets any better than that. Uh moving on, uh going back to chapter four, Revelation chapter four, verses two and eight, um, verse eleven as well from that same chapter, and then just all of chapter five. So yeah, I mean, chapter five is really great. <laughs> yeah, chapter five is. Um, I wrote down uh, when I was first, you know, logging these onto my notes. I just wrote down uh, chapter five verses one through five, and then I kept reading, and I was like, you know, let me just put the, the whole, whole the whole chapter thing. down. Yeah, and I guess you could say it like for every chapter, but this chapter specifically. Um, and if you don't know what this chapter is, uh, at the beginning there's these seals. Mm-hmm. And then we see the lamb opening the seal, and he's the only one worthy to. And they specifically say, and they sing a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain mm-hmm. and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Yeah, wow. Uh, so those of you that know popular music, uh, you know Chris Tomlin has actually written a song out of these verses a couple years ago. Yeah. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Yeah. It's great. comes straight out of Revelation chapter 5. Yeah, it's funny that we've already mentioned two Chris Tomlin songs in our first episode. So props to you, Chris Tomlin. Hey, we might do a review on Is He Worthy. It probably will hit 5 out of 5 again. 5 probably. out of 5. <laughs> yeah, dude, that song is so good. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll kind of keep moving along. Uh, there's this one belief and I say one belief, but there's really three thoughts that kind of come from revelation. Yes. Um, and I think, do do you know what they are before I say them? Maybe. Go ahead. No, I don't know if I don't want to sound wrong. (laughs) Uh, No, just, just say what you think. I'll let you. No, no, go for it. Dude, I don't know. Okay. So. Amillennialism. Okay, it is what I was thinking. It is what you're thinking. You should have just said it. So, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism. Um, hot topic in the uh, circle of yeah, very controversial. Uh, and thankfully, uh, by you know God's grace and mercy here at Overview Baptist Church, we have people who believe each one of them. Yeah. Um, I specifically know people who are on millennial. Um, I think I would fall more into the category of pre-millennial. And then what, what would you say you are? I'd probably fall similar. 
into premillennial. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I know anybody who is technically post-millennial, um, but I wouldn't doubt that we have somebody. No. And I mean, you, you mentioned we have people in our church. We have very intelligent people. Yes. In our church that are on different sides of this. Yeah. And, and not to brag, but I think we're very blessed by having, you know, those individuals here. Um, so I just kind of want to get into what each of these mean right quick. Um, I'm millennial. Um, we're talking about the millennial kingdom, right? Okay. Yeah. The, the thousand years in which Christ reigns, in which Christ reigns, right? Um, so all millennial and post-millennial, um, they're kind of figurative kingdoms. Uh, now, again, uh, correct me in any type of way. I'm out for correction. Um, but all millennial, we are in a thousand-year kingdom already. Yes. Uh, we're currently reigning in a spiritual sense with Christ. Satan is bound, and that is how the gospel is being spread throughout the earth. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, post-millennial, they kind of believe the same when it comes to Christ's return yeah. as all millennial, that after the thousand years Christ returns. Um, but they believe that there's this golden age that is to come for Christianity. Like things are going to get bad, but then all of a sudden they start like getting really good. Yeah. And then Christ comes back. Uh, you can dig into these a little bit deeper um, later on. And then premillennial is a literal thousand year kingdom mm-hmm. that Christ rules and reigns in. And it is brought here to earth. Yeah. So that's where I would follow in. Um, and then he, and it's actually after his second coming, in which this millennial kingdom is inaugurated and it yeah. commences. Um, so it's kind of interesting how they line up. And from this, um, from premillennials, we actually get two different ones. Um, and mm-hmm. our actually former worship minister was the first one, but dispensational. Yeah. Um, and then others are historical. So dispensation, premillennial, kind of follows this, this, uh, timeline but it's the church age so the age we're living in right now then the rapture happens and believers are taken up and then tribulation comes Mm -hmm. and then after that the millennial kingdom starts all right that's dispensation um historical church age so it kind of starts off the same and then everybody goes into tribulation yeah and that's like the daniel's 70th week Mm -hmm. um and obviously we get that reference from Daniel specifically. Um, so church age, tribulation, and then the rapture immediately followed by the millennial kingdom. And I think as far as the tribulation goes, um, what I would think is their reference for the tribulation and everybody going through it is Revelation 7, 9, yeah. um, which says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, and it goes into that. Mm-hmm. And then, salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, Am I in the right chapter? Yes. Seven, nine. Yeah, so in there, um, in, other, in other versions, it talks about tribulation from there in nine. So that's, I think that's where they get that from. Yeah. Um, but all the nations being there, and it's 
So, but anyways, moving on. Don't get stuck on, don't get stuck on the premillennials. Details. The yeah. details, yeah. Um, and not just the details, but I wouldn't get stuck on any of the timeline. I mean, it's not for us to know Absolutely. specifically. And it's it's something I was saying before, you know, this is obviously, this is Jesus who's presenting this to John. And it's a vision it's seen, but like, yeah. God is known to hide things. You know, I think a perfect example is how did Jesus teach when he taught on the earth? He taught in parables. Yeah, and he definitely, uh, he definitely leaves things as a mystery here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because Revelation, uh, you know, the book title mm-hmm. comes from the first word in the book, Apocalypsis, yeah. uh, which is an unveiling or a revealing, mm-hmm. and that would be towards specifically hidden things. So things that are hidden are revealed. Now, not everything um, that... Christ shows to John is written down. Like there are specific instances where he says, do not write this down. Yeah. So yeah, not everything that, you know, is in here is everything that John saw. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to understand no. what John was trying to say. I mean, no. specifically because we can't, you know, we can't reach into his mind. Any thoughts on that? No, I think I would agree with that. And uh, I honestly, I don't think we're going to understand until the other end of it. I don't think until, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. I think once this has happened and it's passed and we're at the end, because obviously you can't argue that all of Revelation has come to pass. Because if all of Revelation has come to pass, then we would be, you know, reigning in heaven. Ever you look at that, new heaven, new earth, and all of that, we would be at that point. Yeah. So obviously it's not all come to pass. So I don't think until it all comes to pass, we're not going to be able to look back and fully understand all of it. Yeah. And going back to the tribulation right quick, because it was bugging me. Um, But it's actually verse 14 from chapter 7. And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And this is coming after verse verse 13. He says, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And then John says, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Mm -hmm. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood, blood of the Lamb. I had to go back a few verses to to figure that out. Yeah, to establish context, really. That's why I started in verse 9, because it's context-related. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would definitely come from verse 14 specifically, where they get the tribulation from. So I kind of just wanted to backtrack there. But like I said, don't get stuck on that. Um, not a hill to die on. Absolutely not. Um, instead, what we should go back and focus on is Jesus as the victor. Mm-hmm. Like, this is his victory story. And it's not just a story, but it's something that will happen. Yes. Right? This is prophecy. And so we will be seeing this happen. So moving on to the last couple of notes about Revelation, how many references do you think there are to the Old Testament here? Think big. Think great. It's probably a lot, I would think. Do you have a number? I don't. Maybe we'll just throw out... 70. 70? You're way off. Oh, no. 500 and counting. 500 and counting. And counting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I pulled up a PDF earlier today. Uh, I just literally looked up Old Testament references in Revelation, 
and found it uh, on johnsnotes.com. So if you wanted to look it up for yourself, that's the website. Not trying to, not trying to, uh, what's the word? Promote. Promote. But johnsnotes.com, thank you. Um, and it, it goes through a list of some of them. Some references and allusions. Um, and some were actually quite surprising to me. Um, so we have references from every part of the Bible. Old Testament. All right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, prophets. Um, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Joel, and all of them. Um, and this was probably the most surprising. And, and which group of books do you think this is? That was probably surprising for me. There's five of them. Starts with a P. Is it the Pentateuch? The Pentateuch. Okay, it is the Pentateuch. I was like, there's more yeah. than one group of five. Well, I mean, that's the main five. The law, the yeah, law books. Okay, the Torah. Uh, yeah, the Torah. Uh, so that was probably the most surprising to me. Uh, so from Genesis all the way to Numbers, there's references. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Every single one of those books has at least one reference somewhere in. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, historical books as well, First and Second Kings, mm-hmm. um, Exodus, and I've already mentioned Genesis, and I said surprisingly, but it really shouldn't be that surprising, but Psalms. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, that's kind of been our focus in the first half of this podcast is Psalms heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at Psalm 145.3. We looked at the ones that you had. Um, so it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And and what this really shows is one, and just and just judging from all of these references together, right, it shows that there has to be a fulfillment of prophecy, right? Like that has to be true, right? And going hand in hand with that is God's consistency and God's constancy, Mm. you know, because God is going to do what he says. He's going to keep his word. Mm -hmm. And, And the implications of that, if he doesn't, are what? That he's not who he says he is. Yeah, and and 1 John tells us that you know, if we say we don't have sin and this is kind of, you know, along the same lines, then we make God out to be a liar. You know, so if, you know, the things that are set in this world aren't as God says they are, then God is a liar, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the case because we have seen fulfillment of prophecy and there is more to come. Absolutely. And uh, I believe in the book of Hebrews, it says that God is not a liar. Yeah. It's impossible for God to lie is what it says. And one, of, I forget the reference. Yeah, no, that's good. Um. And, and this is also important, all these references, because it shows that the writer, and the reason I say that is, I'll get into a second, but that they studied the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? You don't just make allusion, allusions to something. You don't make references to something without prior knowledge. Prior knowledge. And I say writer because some people will r- literally argue that John is not the author of Revelation. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't know who they'll claim is the author, but I don't know. I guess I'm one of those, you know. Who would have wrote it? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I guess I'm one of those, you know, if they say, you know, I, John, or I, Paul wrote it, yeah. then that's who wrote it. You know, yeah. why need to debate it? He was on, he was on, he's in exile. Exactly. Like, who else was there? Exactly. And I guess that's probably what they would say. He's in exile. Who else was there to verify it? I mean, oh, I mean, you know, I don't know. 
They'd probably throw that around on you. I mean, I could say, like, he was old, I guess. And yeah. So somebody wrote it for him. I mean, then that very well could have been the case. But yeah. So going back to some of these references, uh, Revelation 1.1 1, 1 is taken from Daniel 2, 28 and 29. Um, Revelation 2.20 looks back at 2 Kings 9, 7 and 22. This is specifically talking about Jezebel mm-hmm. and her uh, sin and her evil deeds and her destruction. Revelation 7, 15 looks back at Leviticus 26 and 11. Um, Revelation 15, 4 looks back at Psalm 86, 9. And then this is the, this is the best one because what, what this is, is book ending. And there's a, there's a specific term for it in writing. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll come to me in a minute, but we're just going to skip over that for now. But it's, Revelation 22, 2, and since I'm already there, I'm just going to read it. And we have to remember this is at the end of time. This is uh, after the new heaven, the new earth. Mm -hmm. And it says, In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Mm -hmm. So that reference is directly back in Genesis 2, Yeah, right? So we see a tree there, and not only is it just this reference, but Genesis and Exodus as a whole, and that term actually just came back to me. It's called inclusio, Mm -hmm. so book endings. When you have a thought that begins something, and then that same thought ends it. And so, and this is why we're going to Genesis right now, Um, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the Bible here. We're in Genesis 2. Um, And verse 9, and it says, Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And then here's the important part. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. So in Genesis, we see this creation event, right? And we see the fall of man. And then we go throughout all of history— then we get to Revelation 20, 21, and 22, right? We see the victory of God over sin physically and his salvation of his people physically, and then the, the recreating of heaven and earth mm-hmm. and this reestablishment of perfectness. So we have that. We have creation at the beginning of, of the Bible, and then we have creation at the end of the Bible, and that is our inclusio. Yeah. That is our book endings. So it's some, it's some interesting stuff. Um, you know, and I think we oftentimes, you know, we're talking about greatness, right? You know, who is it that created? It's God. It is God, but specifically, which person? I mean, specifically God. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, specifically Christ. Mm -hmm. He is the one by whom all things are created in the beginning. Yeah. And then true. after his victory over sin, over death, over uh, Satan and his army, uh, the dragon, you know, after all of that, everything is recreated through him again, right? So my last question, um, really my last point, right? And this kind of goes with this creation thought, right? So is the world going to be fully recreated as perfect 
all right, using a blank slate, meaning the present heaven and earth will be completely destroyed, right? Yeah. Or will it be renewed, meaning... Like restoration. Restoration, like what is already here, will that be the template and brought back to its perfect pre-sin state? What do you think? I think I'd want to do a little bit of study in some of those words. Right. So I know where it says, you know, there was a new heaven and new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. I think an understanding of what that word passed away means. You know, does it mean that it's been completely destroyed and done away with? Or are we looking more at like a restoration kind of new? You know, what does that word new mean when we look at a new heaven, new earth? Is it like entirely new or is it like renewed? Right. And I think that's the important part. And like I said, none of of these topics are like a hill worth dying on because it could be either way. Um, But it is something good to think through so that you have an answer for them for what you believe. Like we're told to have an answer in season and out of season. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so these are definitely good to think through, and I, that's kind of the last point, right? Like I said, um, I think I would lean towards, as of right now, um, I don't know, but probably more towards a blank slate. Yeah. Um, and, and that comes from a more literal reading. Of the words. Of the words, right. And I could see the argument for it being a renewal, like using the template that's already here mm-hmm. and restoring it. Because these bodies that we have as believers, yeah. they're going to be restored. Like, we're not going to have a whole new body that's separate from the one we have now. Like, this body is going to be restored. Yeah. It's going to be made perfect. Yeah. So I could definitely see the argument for the same as the heaven and earth, mm-hmm. but I just think it might be different. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my understanding of the text reading through. It just seems to me like it's just going to be something entirely new. Yeah, and whichever way it is, um, you know, all glory be to God. Yeah. All honor to be to Him. Um, it, it, it shows His greatness um, as the word megas. Absolutely you know? does. Um, you can't deny that. So, any closing thoughts? No, I think I think we did a pretty good kind of exhaustive look. Uh, on obviously, honestly, if you haven't read Revelation, I think you should read Revelation. Yeah, you this to the listeners, but definitely spend some time reading through it. Yeah, as I mentioned, like, at the beginning of this episode, right, I went to Southeastern Seminary. Uh, It's out in Wake Forest, 30 minutes outside of Raleigh here in North Carolina, Um, obviously for biblical studies, so it's only an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like I pride myself maybe a little too much in that. But when it comes to studying, like, the Bible, I feel like I have a really good knowledge of that. But when I go to read Revelation, it's like everything just right over my head. Yeah. You know? But like I said, I think that comes from not being able to see inside Paul, mm-hmm. Paul's, John's mind. Yeah, not having that full vision. Yeah. Well, we thank you guys for joining our first episode yep. of the Upper Room Discourse. Put the emphasis on the Upper Room. <laughs> um, we hope you will. Well, we just hope you'll be back next week. Absolutely. Uh, so obviously, this was kind of like our pilot. Uh, but we're looking at doing a series coming up, kind of like a six-week series yeah, leading all the way up towards Thanksgiving. Yeah, be looking out for us. We'll give you a hint. Think Reformation. Yeah, that's a good hint. That is a good hint. See if anybody uh, figures out where we're going. Yeah. We'll, uh, I mean, we don't have any prizes to give out. No prizes. You can, uh, if you watch on YouTube, you can look at our 
board each oh, week. We'll have it written up there. Uh, we'll give you a mention. A mention, yeah. Yeah, you, let it, you, a mention. you figure it out. We'll give you a mention next week. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, until next time. See ya. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.